Well, it's great to be here with you guys. I think it's been a couple of years since I've come. Of course, over the years, I've had the opportunity to come and minister you folks when Skip and Lenya were here. And uh, Skip has been a good friend of mine for years, as has Pete and uh, Angie. And it's so exciting to see how God has continued to bless this ministry under Pete's leadership. And we thank God for him. He's done a wonderful job. Yeah. He's doing a great job, and uh, it, what is especially thrilling to me is to see so many young people in church on a Wednesday night. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. How many of you brought your Bibles with you tonight? I'd just like to see all oh, that's great. That's, I love that. This, by the way, is a brand new Bible. I'm breaking it in tonight. I got it out of your bookstore. It's a very cool Bible, so let's see how it works. And... Uh, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. A number of years ago, I was uh, taking my son Christopher, who is now 29, but then he was still pretty young, to a track meet. He liked to run track and field. And, and I'd heard a little rumor that they were going to maybe have a special race for the adults that day. So I went down to the sporting goods store, bought the best pair of Nike running shoes I could find. Because in my day, when I was a kid in high school, I was a pretty fast runner. And I thought, you know what? This is going to be fun. I'll sort of relive my glory days. And so, sure enough, after the race for the kids was over, someone said, well, you know, we're going to have a race now for you dads out there if you want to run. And I went out to the trunk of my car. I put on my brand new Nikes. And I came walking up there to the starting line. And I started sizing up my competition. And I saw a lot of pot bellies there. And I thought, this is going to be good. I'm going to own this race. This is great. And so they said, all right, this is, I don't remember how long of a run it was. It wasn't too far. And they said, get ready on your mark. It's that go. Boom. He fires up the starter pistol. And I started running. And I always had this sort of burst of energy that would just kick in. And I would blow away the competition. So I'm running. And I'm noticing people are passing me. Everyone's passing me. I thought, okay, it's time for the burst of energy. Go. It came. It left. People are still passing me. Inanimate objects are passing me. So I realized at that moment, not only am I going to lose this race, I'm going to lose big. And I'm going to get that lame response, same for, same for people that come in 20 minutes later than everyone else. Hey, way to go. What an idiot. Look, hey, yeah. So we're rounding this corner. I am totally out of steam. I am completely exhausted. And I just come around this one tree and I walk off the track. Like, like I wasn't even in the race. Someone said, Greg, weren't you running the race? Nah, I was just fooling around. I couldn't stand the thought of the humiliation. It's interesting because on more than one occasion, the Bible compares the Christian life to running a race. And I think back in the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, this was a long time ago. It was in another century. It was called the 20th century. And I, was, uh, I became a Christian at the age of 17 in 1970. And I remember that there were a lot of people that I knew that were Christians back then. And as some 30 plus years have passed, I can think of many of them who are no longer walking with the Lord. Now, I can't think of a number of them who are walking with the Lord as well. But I see some have done well in the Christian life and some have not done so well. And maybe as you sit there tonight, and you're young and you're sitting down there on the floor or, or you think you're young, you just don't know it yet. But... <laughs> 
and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I hope I do well in this Christian life. I hope that I finish this race well. Listen, that is entirely up to you. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to cross this finishing line with flying colors. But the question is, do you want to do it? Do you want to be a spiritual success? You see, there are some things that only God can do and some things only you can do. Only God can save a person. Only God can forgive and forget our sins. Only God can change the human heart. But listen, only I can believe. Only I can repent and only I can follow. God will not do that for me as He has given me something called a free will. And so what I want to talk to you about tonight is how to be a success as a Christian. There's a lot of things that I could say, but I want to share one primary principle that needs to be in consistent play in your life if you want to succeed spiritually. But before I start, let me take a quick poll. How many of you want to be a spiritual success? Raise up your hand. Okay, good. How many of you want to fail? Okay, good. Pete, put your hand down. No, I just, I made that up. So we all are on the same page here, right? We all want to succeed. Well, here's what it's going to come down to. These are non-negotiable areas that we must be applying in our lives. And here's something that it's going to begin with. It's called discipline. Now, that's not a word we like in the 21st century. Discipline. We're always looking for the shortcut. For the magic bullet for weight loss, right? Who wants to go to a gym and work out or run or cut back on eating? We're looking for some special pill we can take. Have you heard about this thing they advertise sometimes? You eat all that you want and take the pill and lose weight at night. Yeah, really? Where's that? Remember that machine they used to advertise a lot on TV and you'd hook it up to your abs and you did like this, you know? (laughs) We want something to make it easier for me because we live in an instant society. Nowadays, it seems like you can get everything on demand. You know, there was a time when you wanted to actually send a letter to someone. We used something called mail and we put stamps on the envelope. But then someone came out with this cutting edge technology called the fax machine. Oh, that was amazing that you could take a page and put it into this machine and it would go through the phone lines and show up somewhere else. But then, forget the fax machine, email came along. But now even email seems too slow. We use instant messaging. And even that's too slow. The next phase of technology is we'll just read each other's minds, you know, just... Won't even have to type it in. And that's how we like things in life. We want everything fast. We get our movies on demand. We want our news on demand. We want everything on demand. And in the same way we come to Christ and say, okay, I want it now. But the Bible tells us to slow down. The Bible tells us to discipline ourselves. The Bible tells us to deny ourselves, to take root, to study, to obey. (laughs) These are words we don't want to hear. You know, we are so busy and we're so active. You know, you'll see people, they get up in the morning and they turn on the radio as they're getting ready to go to school or go to work and then they get in the car and everybody is on a cell phone now. Do we really all need to be on cell phones constantly? I mean, they're driving along. Everyone's on a cell phone. Who are all these people talking to? And have you ever noticed when someone's on a cell phone, they always talk too loudly? I mean, how do you feel when you're sitting in a restaurant with someone and the phone rings. Uh, they're talking to you. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. Hey, hang on one sec. The phone's here. Hello! <laughs> and then they talk in the phone for a while. And have you noticed how people drive when they have a cell phone? 
They drive like drunks. They're all over the road. They're just on the phone, you know. And then, you know, you, you're listening to the radio in the car. Then you get home and you turn on the TV and then you're, and you say, God never speaks to me. Well, maybe you ought to give him your cell phone number. Maybe you never slow down. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. So how can I be a success spiritually? The answer is found in something called the parable of the sower. You remember that story that Jesus told? He said, a sower went out to sow seed. And some of the seed fell on rocky ground, or excuse me, on the roadside, and the bird just came down and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, and it shot up quickly because it could not get deeply rooted in the soil. It withered in the sun. Other seed fell on ground that was embedded with um, weeds, and they choked out the growth of the seed. And finally, some seed fell on good ground and brought forth fruit. Then Jesus interprets it. He says, those that, the seed that fell on the roadside, these are they that hear the word of God, and Satan comes immediately and snatches away the word that was in their heart. These are the people that you share the gospel message with them and it never penetrates their hardened heart. It basically goes in one ear and out the other. And then there are those that hear the word of God and they're like the seed sown on rocky ground and they shoot up quickly and they have a lot of excitement and a lot of passion. But the cares and riches of this life and the love of other things choke it out and it becomes unfruitful. The third category are those that hear the word of God. They begin to bring forth what seems to be fruit, but they are choked out by the cares and riches of this world. And finally, Jesus says, those that hear the word of God, the seed that went on good ground, these are the ones that hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, 60-fold, and some 100. Bearing fruit. That's what it's all about, being a fruitful Christian. In fact, that's one of the primary reasons you are on this earth. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So I ask you tonight, are you bearing fruit? Are you a fruitful Christian? That's what God is concerned about. But a lot of people are not growing in this area spiritually So what do we need to do? Well, let's think about that final category in the parable of the sower and why fruit came out of their lives. It's because Jesus said they hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit. You hear it, you accept it, and you bear fruit. So here's what I want to say in a nutshell. If you want to be a successful Christian, you must love, read, and study the word of God. Let me say it again. If you want to be a successful Christian, you must love, read, and study the Word of God. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night and observe to do all that is written in it, and then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Many years ago, a young man named Billy Sunday received Jesus Christ into his life. An older believer said to him, William, There are three rules rules that I wish you would practice. And if you do, no one will ever write the word backslider after your name. Number one, take 15 minutes every day to talk to God. Number two, take 15 minutes every day to let God talk to you. And thirdly, take 15 minutes every day to talk to others about God. If you follow that advice, you'll never be a backslider. And young Billy followed that advice and went on to become the greatest evangelist of his generation. 15 minutes 
to talk to God. 15 minutes to let God talk to you. 15 minutes to talk to others about God. How does God talk to us? How does He speak to us today? Primarily through this book. I don't know about you, but I wasn't raised reading the Bible. I wasn't raised going to church. My mom was an alcoholic and lived without God and was married and divorced seven times. And we lived all around the country. I was lived, I was raised in this kind of strange hedonistic world. And so when I came to hear the gospel for the first time on my high school campus and I became a Christian, I was having a hard time making the transition from my old life to the new life. I was hanging around with a bunch of guys that were losers and we were doing stupid stuff like taking drugs and just throwing our lives away. I heard the gospel message presented. I gave my life to Christ. But I was at that in-between point where you know you're not comfortable with your old friends, but you haven't quite acclimated yet to the Christian world, you know. For starters, I didn't understand their language. They, they spoke in the, we use these cryptic terms that made no sense to me. They'd say, Brother Greg, you're now a part of the body of Christ, but you should no longer be in the flesh because you're washed in the blood. I'm in a body of Christ, but I shouldn't be in the flesh and I'm in blood? What? <laughs> now, brother, you're justified, you're sanctified, and you've been adopted into God's family. Uh, okay, I had no idea what that meant. And so when I would go to Christian meetings, I was having a hard time in that sort of in-between transitional phase. And I remember the first time someone gave me a Bible. I was only a couple of days old in the Lord and some guy who had seen me at this meeting. I was at a meeting out in the front lawn of our high school and it was a Bible study and I, I heard the gospel and I responded to an invitation that was given and I accepted Christ into my life. And so here I was, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And some one of these Christians saw me across the campus and he yelled out, Brother Greg! I'm like, well, who's he talking to? Brother Greg! <clears throat> yeah? Bro, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? Give me a hug, bro. Oh, you know, and he hugs me. <laughs> Don't even know this guy. He says, bro, I got a present for you. Yeah, what is it? It's this. And he pulls out the biggest Bible I've ever seen. <laughs> it was gigantic. And then to make it worse, it had popsicle sticks glued on the cover in the shape of a cross. <laughs> bro, this is God's word. Start reading. I put that down, okay? Oh, great. Bro, read the word. Okay, I'll read it. Thank you very much. And, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to walk across my high school campus carrying this Bible with popsicle sticks on it. I was embarrassed. So I had a coat on and I sort of ripped the pocket open because the thing was so big and I shoved it in. I wasn't hiding God's word in my heart yet. I was hiding it in my coat, you see. So I went over to uh, where one of my friends lived and I hadn't seen these guys since I'd accepted Christ. And... And they hadn't seen me. And so I walked over there and I thought, I, mean, I can't tell these guys I'm a Christian now. What am I going to do with this Bible? So there were some bushes out front of my friend's house. So I took my Bible and I hid it in the bushes. And I walked in. One of the guys said, Lori, where have you been? I said, oh, nowhere. What have you been doing? Nothing. My heart's beating. God's Holy Spirit is saying, tell them. I'm saying, no way. No. It's not going to happen. So I'm sitting down, one of my buddies says, hey, Greg, you want to get stoned? I said, no, why not? I just don't want to. So, Lori, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Why are you acting so strange? I'm not acting strange. They're all looking at me like, what happened to you? Suddenly the front door opens and my friend's mom comes walking in 
holding my Bible. With a popsicle sticks. I thought, what does this woman check her bushes when she comes home? She says, who does this belong to? Every eye in the room sees the Bible and they all look at me. They just knew there was a connection. I said, that, that's mine. Someone said, what is it? It's a bubble. It's a what? It's a bubble. What? It's a Bible. Give it to me. I took it. And one of my buddies that I'd known for years said, Oh, Greg, are we going to be a Christian now and praise the Lord and read the Bible? I said, No, what we're going to do is hit you in the mouth right now. That's... I hadn't read 1 Corinthians 13 yet. But you see, I was ashamed of that book. I didn't know the value of it yet. But then I realized I'm going to have to make a decision now. Am I going to live this old life? Am I going to keep going this wrong direction? Or am I going to start following God and reading this book? And so I made my choice to follow the Lord. And I started to study the Bible and I'd never read anything like it before. God began to speak to my heart. And what amazed me was I would read things in the Bible that so applied to my life. It was so relevant it almost surprised me at times that the ink on the pages was dry. It was as though God Himself had written it for me. You know what I'm talking about? And suddenly now, I had that book that I was looking for. I had the rule book of life. Even better, I had the user's manual of life. I don't know about you, but I hate reading directions. You know, whenever I get a new electronic gadget, I don't read the directions. I just start pushing buttons. And I've had more than a few gadgets like explode, you know, or something goes wrong and I... And I open up, oh, I better read the manual and it says, Dear idiot, whatever you do, don't do this first. And I just did that, of course. (laughs) It's good to read the directions, isn't it? Have you ever seen these kind of crazy warning labels they put on everything nowadays? Everything is a warning label. And you know, the reason for that is because someone has done the thing that they're warning you about. Here are just a few warning labels. And I'm not making any of these up. These are all true. On a cardboard windshield sunshade. You know what I'm talking about? Cardboard windshield sunshade. Warning. Do not drive with sunshield in place. That means someone did it. I can't see where I'm going. This is true. On a hair dryer. Do not use while sleeping. This one frightens me. On an electric rotary tool, this product not intended for use as a dental drill. With someone that desperate, oh, this tooth. On a bathroom heater, this product is not to be used in bathrooms. Okay. And a manual for a microwave oven, do not use for drying pets. You've all heard about the poodle in the microwave, right? Happened somewhere. I like this one. On a box of rat poison. Warning. Has been found to cause cancer and laboratory mice. Good. I was kind of hoping for something that would kill them a little faster than that. On children's cough medicine. Do not drive car or operate machinery. To your three-year-old, honey, you can't drive the forklift today. It's just... This one's weird. On a child-sized Superman costume, wearing of this costume does not enable you to fly. You know some kid tried it. On a shipment of hammers, 
may be harmful if swallowed. These are true. I'm not making them up. On a bottle of Nitol, a brand of sleeping pills, warning may cause drowsiness. It's kind of hoping for that. That's why I bought sleeping pills. You think of these crazy people trying to dry their hair when they're asleep, or drying their pets in the microwave, or jumping off a building because there was an S on their shirt. It's crazy. If they had just read the directions and warning labels, I'm telling you how much better your life would go if you would read the directions. If you would read the warning labels. When God tells you not to do something, it's for your own good. Now I know sometimes that's hard because we'll read something in the Bible and we'll say, that's not fair. God's out to ruin my life or to spoil my fun. Nothing could be further from the truth. God says in His Word, no good thing will He withhold from those that walk uprightly. If God tells you not to do it, it's not a good thing. If God tells you to do it, it is a good thing. This Bible, this book, tells us everything that we need to know about God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped to do the good thing that God wants us to do. This book is alive. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is full of living power, sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for who we really are. I mean, it, it even cracks me up how people will react to the Bible itself. Have you ever pulled the Bible out in public? It freaks some people out. I think at times when I've been flying and, you know, you're chatting with the person next to you and you have that dreaded seat from hell, you know, the middle seat. And uh, you're sitting there. And, and so, you know, you can read anything. It doesn't bother anyone unless you reach down out of your briefcase and you pull out a Bible. It's like you just pulled out a rattlesnake, you know. People will sort of recoil from it. You know, you're reading it and they're like, oh no, it's a Bible, it's a Bible. Like, they're afraid it's going to... Yeah. Sorry, it's... It's a living Bible, you know. It... <laughs> I have little air holes on the box. But that's because people know that there's power in this book. Here's what it comes down to. Success or failure in the Christian life is dependent on how much of the Bible you get into your life on a daily basis and how obedient you are to it. Let me repeat that. Success or failure in the Christian life is dependent on how much of the Bible you get into your life on a daily basis and how obedient you are to it. You show me a person who is falling away. Someone who is losing it spiritually. Someone who is having serious problems. I'll show you a person who is not regularly studying God's Word. But again, it's not just studying it, but it's obeying it as well. One of the best ways for a doctor to find out if you're in good health is to check your appetite. Because they know that a hungry person is a healthy person, right? That's why I know I'm healthy right now, because I'm basically hungry. So, if you are spiritually hungry, and God, obviously you guys are. Here you are on a Wednesday night. 
with your Bibles, with an open heart, wanting to hear what God has to say, that is an indication of your spiritual health. As 1 Peter 2, 2 says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so by it you may grow up in your salvation. And you know, there is a trend in the church today of getting away from the Bible. In fact, in many churches today, a lot of people don't even bring their Bibles with them. And the preacher may reference the Bible in passing as he gives you his outline. And that's why I thank God for this church that has faithfully upheld the Word of God for years and continues in that. And that's so very important to get into the Word of God and let the Word of God get into you. Jesus said, yeah, that's right. You can applaud that. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you really my disciples? And in doing so, we're going to develop a Christian worldview. Folks, here's what we need to learn. We need to learn to think biblically. And this is so important, especially today in the age of moral relativism. When people are pretty much saying, hey, whatever you want to believe, that's fine. Your truth is your truth and my truth is mine. No, more than ever, we need these absolutes that God gives us in His Word and we look at, need to look at everything through a biblical lens. The Bible, God's Word, is our foundation and our final authority. Well, why should I study the Word of God? Psalm 19 tells us now. Let's read verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, and much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Now, Father, we believe your word is true. We believe it's right. We believe it is indeed the user's manual of life. And as we consider now the importance of it, give us ears to hear. So we would not only be hearers of the word, but we would also be doers. Speak to us from your word, about your word, we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's consider the first thing that Psalm 19 tells us about the word of God. The word of God is perfect. I think he thought I was done already. Well, that was a short sermon. The musicians are in the back. The preacher's praying. Let's go. That shows you weren't listening. I'm just messing with them. God's Word is perfect. Now that's so important because we live in a time where there's so much imperfect reasoning. And as society changes, we can sort of be caught up in that and flow with the winds of change. And things are always changing, you know. Culture changes, musical style changes, hairstyles change. I mean, now the newspaper isn't even current. Why read the newspaper when I can go online and get the news as it's actually happening? Or turn on CNN or Fox News or something like that. Everything can seem so dated. I mean, it seems like whenever we look at our yearbook photos, we all collectively cringe together. Was the mullet ever really a good hairstyle? 
I'm wearing a mullet right now in my heart. Just in my heart. But you know, things are so dated. But the Word of God is never dated. God's Word is as fresh as the morning dew. I was just amazed this morning reading Proverbs. I've been reading through it. And and as I was reading, I was thinking, this is so relevant to today. Every word of it speaks to what any person is facing in this day and age. As the Scripture says, His mercies are new every morning. The Word of God is perfect. That word perfect means it's whole, it's complete, and it's sufficient. There's nothing I need to add to it, nor do I need to take away from it. Again, to quote 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God, or literally is breathed by God. You can trust this book. The original autographs, the first copies, were without errors. There were no mistakes, no contradictions. It's perfect. And as they discover older manuscripts, they find that they confirm what we have in our present manuscripts as in a relatively recent discovery like the Dead Sea Scrolls. You can trust this book. God's Word is perfect. Number two, the Word of God transforms us. Look at Psalm 19 verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The word convert here means it revives, it restores, it transforms. And when you read God's Word, you're revived. You're restored. You're transformed. Now, if you would say, well, I'm not really all that interested in being changed or transformed. I'm not really interested in the Bible or being successful spiritually. Then you shouldn't read this book. This is a book for people who have a sense of desperation as to where they are headed in life. It's for people who don't have the purpose that they wish they had. It's for people that want to know where they came from and they want to know where they're going. It's for people that want direction in their life. It's for people like you. People like me. It's for people that want to know how to function as a businessman, as a student. It's for people that want to know how to have a successful marriage. They want to know how to raise children. But more importantly, it's for people that want to know the meaning and purpose of life and they want to know the God who created them. The law of the Lord is perfect and the law of the Lord transforms us. And sometimes it even stops bullets. I read an interesting story in the paper a while back about a crazed woman that tried to kill a man who was in church. She shot him and he had his Bible in his pocket and the bullet hit the Bible and it stopped the bullet. And the deputy was called in and he said, that Bible certainly saved his life. But it'll do more than that. It'll save your life in every way if you read it and believe it. But it's not just enough to carry the Bible. It's not just enough to quote the Bible. You have to obey the Bible. James 1.22 says, remember, it's a message to obey, not just to listen to. And if you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, you walk away, you forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect Word, this law that will set you free, and do what it says and don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for doing it. The Bible tells me the truth about myself. And I read it and there are times that I don't like what it says. But it's because I need to make changes. It tells me a decision I need to make. That's God's Word given to you. Number three, the Word of God gives us incredible wisdom. It gives us incredible wisdom. Verse 7, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The Hebrew word simple here comes from a root word that means an open door. It speaks of a person who has a mind like an open door. Everything comes in and everything goes out. This person doesn't know what to keep in his mind or to keep out of his mind. They're open to everything, closed to nothing. But the Bible says it is able to make such a person wise. And this is so important, and I touched on this a moment ago, but we need a biblical worldview in the times in which we are living. Because sometimes even well-meaning Christians will say crazy things like, well, you know, I don't really know if I believe in a God who would judge someone and allow them to go to hell. My God would never do such a thing. And I feel, and my opinion is, no, no, forget about how you feel, okay? Forget about your opinion. What does the Bible say? That's all that matters. I don't care about your opinion. And you, frankly, shouldn't really care about mine. But you should care about this. And that's why when I speak, I will share verses with you to back up what I'm saying. Don't believe it because I said it, or because Pete says it, or because Skip has said it, or someone else has said it. Believe it because the Bible has said it. This is our source This is our authority. This is what we need to look at. And then as we entrench ourselves, as we deepen our study of the Word, we begin to think biblically. And as situations come my way, I process it through a biblical grid. I had someone ask me a while back, well, what do you do if you come to a verse of the Bible that you don't agree with? I said, you change your opinion. (laughs) Because you're wrong. No, but I don't agree with it. Then you're wrong. Because the law of the Lord is perfect, you see. God's Word is right. So you need to conform your thinking to what God's Word says, not the other way around. Don't think emotionally. Think biblically. If you believe that man is intrinsically good and is going to solve this world or the problems of this world, then you must be having a hard time right now. As you look at things like global terrorism and the horrific crimes that are committed each and every day. But if you believe what the Bible says about the world, and you believe that, as the Bible says, that man is not basically good, but he's basically sinful and is separated from God by his sin. And if you believe that Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world and rose again from the dead three days later, and we need him in our heart, now things are beginning to make sense. If you believe that man is going to bring out global solutions and eventually bring peace to the world, you must be very disillusioned right now. But if you believe that the Bible is true when it tells us that God is going to come back again and establish His kingdom on earth and rule as King of kings and Lord of lords and things are going to make sense to you, we must think biblically. I appreciate the fact that Pete teaches you the Word of God all the time. But on Wednesday night, you're going through the book of the... uh, I believe you're going through Nehemiah together, aren't you? And that's fantastic. What a great book that is. Come prepared, reading ahead, and hear what the Lord has to say to you. You may remember back in 1999, the world was stunned by the tragic news that John F. Kennedy Jr. was killed in a plane. He was piloting, along with his wife and her sister. Of course, it was the hope of many that Kennedy might one day walk in his father's footsteps and run for office. You may recall that his father, John F. Kennedy, was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. And young Kennedy was a a successful publisher and had the paparazzi following him all the time. And 
taking pictures of him and so forth. And so he got in this plane and then just mysteriously disappeared. So they were trying to figure out what happened to him. And as it turns out, Kennedy was flying to Cape Cod, Massachusetts to attend a family wedding and instead his plane plunged into the sea. Investigators found no mechanical problems with Kennedy's plane. The problem was he was not instrument rated and needed visual cues to fly by. But a thick haze hung over the coastline on the way to Massachusetts and the sun was setting and Kennedy could not trust his instruments and he became disoriented and basically flew himself into the ocean because for all practical purposes, he didn't know which way was up. And in the same way, we so easily can be disoriented by our feelings and our emotions and our opinions. We need to look to the navigation equipment of God's Word and that will get us to the worst storms in life and give us the direction that we need. You can trust this book. Live by what it says. Trust what it says. God's Word is perfect. It transforms us. It makes us wise. What else do we need to know about it? Number four, the Word of God is right. The Word of God is right. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. In Hebrew, this means the Bible has set out a right plan or path for us to follow. We don't have to lose our bearings in the fog of human opinion. That's why it's essential to read and study the Word of God. You want to be a happy person? Here's what the Bible tells you you should do. Blessed is the man, or another way to translate that would be happy. Happy is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor do they stand in the way of sinners, nor do they sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it does he meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by a river of water that brings forth fruit in season. His leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Blessed or happy is that man. So God's word is saying, you want to be a happy person? Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't walk in the counsel of this world, but instead let your delight be in God's Word and meditate in it, study it day and night. You know, I think sometimes we can read five chapters of the Bible without any comprehension. Why do we do that? Just so we can say, I read five chapters of the Bible. While I was reading five chapters of the Bible this morning, you'd be better off reading five verses with comprehension. Slow down. Chew on it. Think it over. Contemplate it. Ask yourself a few questions as you're looking at a passage of Scripture, such as, is there any sin here for me to avoid? Is there any promise for me to claim? Is there any victory to gain? Is there any blessing to enjoy? And that is why it's great to read the Bible book by book. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You see, some people read the Bible in sort of a hunt and peck method. They'll read a little Genesis, a few verses from Isaiah, dust it off with some revelation, throw in a little Daniel for good measure. You're going to end up with a good case of spiritual indigestion. You need to read through chapters, through books of the Bible, so you can get the context of what is being said. Number five. Keeping the Word of God makes you happy. It makes you happy. You want to be a happy person, keep God's Word. Verse 8 of Psalm 19, The statutes, or the Word of the Lord, is right, rejoicing the heart. 
Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty eight, happy are those that hear the word of God and keep it. You can have a happy life outside of sin. Oh, I know the world makes sin look so cool, doesn't it? It makes those things that God says are wrong look so appealing, like you are so lame, you are so missing out. If you're not doing this stuff and you're some kind of weird religious person reading the Bible, folks, that's a lie. It's a lie. And if you don't believe it, just look at the people that have bought into that lie. That have bought into the mythology of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It amazes me how generation after generation just follows the same old garbage year after year. And you know, my generation, we had Jim Morrison. Another generation has Kurt Cobain. Another generation will have their own name they can add to that list that bought into that, that will say, oh no, man, you have to have sex before marriage to be happy. And then once you're married, you need to have sex outside of marriage and you need to lie and you need to steal and you need to connive. No, 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 that's all a lie. You live that way, you'll never be happy. You'll be miserable. Do it God's way. Say, but come on, Greg. You stand there behind that pulpit with your bald head. (laughs) Waving around your new Bible you're so proud of from the bookstore. (laughs) What do you know? Well, I'll tell you what. I lived without Christ for the first 17 years of my life. I've lived those other years with Him. And being a pastor for over 30 years, I've seen a lot of stuff seen a lot of lives. I've seen a lot of people mess their lives up that did not have to mess them up. I've seen a lot of people make stupid mistakes they did not have to make. And you know what? I've seen others that have lived by God's Word. And I am telling you, I know this is true from personal experience. But even more than that, I know it's true because God says it's true. And it's always going to be true. You want to be a happy person? Live by what this book says. You want to have a good marriage? Do it the way God tells you to do it. You want to have a fulfilling life? Live the way God wants you to live. And in the end, you will be a happy person. I can guarantee this to you. If I'm wrong, you come after me, okay? But I know I'm not wrong because I know God's Word is right. We want to succeed. It's going to take discipline. The Bible must be more than a prop. It must be your guide. You must take time for it each and every day and then you must obey what it says. And if you do, you'll succeed spiritually. If you do, you will live a life that is fulfilling. If you do, you'll cross the finishing line of the race of life. And you hear the Lord say to you in that final day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I heard the story. Yeah. I heard the story of an old recluse that lived deep in the mountains of Colorado. And when he died, some of his distant relatives came to collect his valuables. And upon arriving, all they found was an old shack with an outhouse behind it. And inside the shack, next to the rock fireplace, was an old cooking pot and some mining equipment. A cracked table with a three-legged chair, standing guard by a tiny window, and an old kerosene lamp as a centerpiece for the table. These relatives walked in, they looked around. They collected a few things. They loaded up their truck and they were driving off. As they were making their way down the road, an old friend of the recluse who had died flagged them down. And he asked, y'all mind if I take what's left of my friend's cabin? They said, go ahead. After all, they thought, what's left inside of that shack? We got anything that had value. And off they went. So the old guy walked into the shack, 
walked right over to the table, reached under it, lifted up one of the floorboards, and he proceeded to take out all the gold his friend had discovered in the last 53 years. It was worth millions of dollars. Apparently, the recluse had died with only his close friend knowing his true worth. And as that old man looked out the little window and watched a cloud of dust behind the relative's car disappear, he said, they should have got to know him better. And in the same way, that's true of the Lord. How am I going to get to know him better? By getting into this book day and night. Jesus says, Lo, in the volume of the book I have come, it is written of me. By keeping the words of this book, you're going to be able to resist temptation. Someone came up to me before the service and asked me to sign their Bible. Um, what am I, I didn't write it, so what am I going to write? So I just wrote this inscription. Sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. Because the one thing the devil doesn't want is for you to get into this book. He doesn't want you to read it, and he certainly doesn't want you to obey it. Have you ever noticed that? How you can open up a newspaper, fine. Read 12 newspapers. Read anything. Watch a TV program. The moment you open up this book, the phone starts ringing. The kids start screaming. 747s are landing in your front lawn. (laughs) Anything to distract you. That's why you need to discipline yourself. Coming back to that word again. And doing what God's word says. And by keeping this word, you'll be able to resist temptation. The Bible says, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By living according to your word. And scripture also says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a sword to defend yourself with. And it's the word that you use when you seek to win people to Christ. Let me say a couple of things in closing. This book tells me how to get to heaven. It tells me how to know God. It tells me how to live a happy and fulfilling life. It tells me how to fill the hole in my heart. Here's what this book says. This book says that every one of us have sinned against God. No matter who we are. No matter how good we are. How moral we've been. We all sin. The word sin means to cross a line. And it also means to fall short of a standard. We've all crossed the line and did what we should not do. And we have all fallen short of God's standard for humanity. You say, what is that standard? Absolute, total, flawless perfection. The Bible says, be perfect as God is perfect. You say, who can be perfect? Who can live up to that? Answer, nobody. That's where Jesus comes in. Because the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because we've sinned, because we've fallen short, we need a Savior. So 2,000 years ago, God became a man and He came to this earth and He was born in a little manger in Bethlehem. He lived the perfect life. He voluntarily went to a cross and was crucified for the sin of the world. And three days later, He rose again from the dead and He is alive and He stands at the door of our heart and He says, Listen. I stand at the door and knock, and if you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Let me ask you in closing, have you opened the door of your heart and asked Jesus in yet? You say, well, I think I'm already a Christian. Why do you think that? Well, because I'm an American. (laughs) That's not good enough. Well, because I think I had a grandfather that may have been a Christian. No, no, it, it doesn't work that way. Look, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He just has sons and daughters. 
How do you become a child of God? The Bible says, for as many as received Him, He gave them to become power, or gave them power rather, to become sons of God. There has to come a moment in your life where you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and I ask you to come into my life and forgive me, and I want to follow you. Your mom and dad can't do that for you. Your friend can't do that for you. You have to make that decision for yourself. Have you done that yet? Is Christ living inside of you? Do you have the assurance right now at this moment that if you were to die, you would go to heaven? Let me put it another way. Do you have the assurance that if Christ were to come back tonight, and friends, He could, would you be ready to meet Him? Or would you be one of the ones who would be left? That's really up to you. God says in His Word, I set before you death and life, blessings and curses. Choose life that you might live. You see, it's a choice that you must make where you say, Lord, come into my life. And until you do that, there is nothing that this world offers that is going to fill that hole in your heart. There's no experience. There is no possession. There is no accomplishment. There is no religious ritual that's going to do it. You're always going to come up short until you come to the One who created you and say, all right, Lord, I believe You sent Your Son, Jesus. I believe He died and rose again from the dead. I believe this is the user's manual of life. And Lord, I've tried to do it on my own and I've made a mess of things. I'm ready to do it Your way. If you'll do that, God will forgive you. And you can leave Calvary tonight a different person than when you came in with your sin forgiven, knowing you're going to heaven. And there might be some of you that started a walk with the Lord. I was talking about spiritual success in the beginning of this message. And you started off well. You were reading the Word. You were going to church, worshiping God. Everything was going really beautifully. And you were firing at all cylinders. And then as time passed, you stopped reading. And you stopped attending. And you stopped praying. And sin started getting into your life again. And next thing you know, you're back in that same old place again. You say, well, I've messed up. I've had my chance. I guess that's it for me. No, no. We serve a God who gives second chances. And third ones. And fourth ones. And fifth ones. And just about as high as you can count and then some more. But you must come to Him and say, Lord, I've messed up. I'm sorry. Try to do it my way. I want to come back and do it your way. I want to return to you. And if you need to come back to the Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. In a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to ask Jesus Christ into your life, to be forgiven of your sin and know that you'll go to heaven when you die. I'm going to invite you, if you need to, to come back to the Lord and be forgiven of your sin and have a second chance in life so you think about what you're going to do as we pray right now, okay? Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer. Everybody praying, please. Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, to die on that cross in our place. And now I pray that Your Holy Spirit will speak to the hearts of these that do not yet know You. I pray that You'll bring them to Yourself now. Know You. I pray that You'll bring them to Yourself now. 